obviously Instagram is a very popular target of these criminals, but have you seen it on other platforms as well? Uh, Facebook, you know, like it seems like anywhere that you can communicate with an individual, they could lure you into this scheme. Introducing the protectors inside criminal minds from around the world presented by the IAFCI leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. I am with Mark Solomon, our International President. How you doing today, Mark? Ms. Carroll, I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be back for another episode and uh, looking forward to our next guest. Yeah, you know, Mark, we are an international association, right? We probably have about 800 international members. So this is a great time to bring on an international guest. I think it is. Uh, You're absolutely right. So, and Mike, what I like about our next guest is he actually heard our podcast. He's an IFCI member, listens to the podcast and said, hey, I'd love to come on the podcast and share my experiences in law enforcement in Canada. And uh, he's quite the expert when it comes to digital forensics and uh, scams that are occurring in Canada as well. We'll have to make him our number one fan. I like it. I think we'll have to get him a free T-shirt. All right. <laughs> so, Let's not go overboard. All right. All right. Maybe half a T-shirt. So. <laughs> so our next guest spent 29 years with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, also known as RCMP, before retiring in 2020. The last 10 years of his career were spent with digital forensic services as an examiner and team leader. He holds numerous certifications as a computer forensic examiner and as an information system security professional and also a court-recognized expert in computer and mobile forensics. During his career, he also served two tours of duties in the international police operations. In 2009, he worked with the United Nations in Haiti as a police trainer, mentor, and monitor. And then again in 2019 with the Canadian police mission in Ukraine as a technical expert and police trainer. We'd like to welcome to the show our friend, Al Filoto. Hey, guys. Good to meet you. Thank you for having me. How you doing, Al? So you're uh, you're in Vancouver area, right? Yes, yes. I'm originally from the East Coast, Montreal, so I'm a French speaker. But uh, the RCMP, uh, my first posting was in the West Coast. So, yeah, I'm on the Vancouver, Canada, beautiful part of the country. Nice. You know, I was reading your bio, and you are an expert on all these different types of social media scams that are out there. You know, I just got to start off asking you, you know, who are they target for these types of scams, and, and what do these fraudsters really want? So actually, you know, I kind of separate that into two groups. You know, there's a, I don't want to say older or younger, but it, it makes it easier. But if you look at the the people of my generation is sort of the older folks. And then my kids' generation, I consider the younger folks. And they, they really use social media and the internet in a different way. And I'm, I'm still learning different ways that they're using it. Uh, you know, a lot of social media like Facebook is used by older people and then my son, you know, he's 19 and uh, he uses TikTok and Instagram. That's his main social. So there's really a different way they're using the platforms. Also, you know, phones and computers, they're used differently. Like young people tend to use the, their phones mostly and not their computers so much. So and that creates a bit of a, it makes it harder to detect scams on a phone because of the technology. I was going to ask you, you're, you're mentioning Facebook. What's like the number one type of scam that uh, 
you know, you see on Facebook that we should be aware of? So on Facebook, they, they've had a lot. You don't see them as much, but they, you know, you would get a text message on, on Messenger and it would say, you know, is that you in, in this video? And then people would click on that and then it would take you to a fake. It's basically a phishing scam. So it would take you to a fake uh, page that looks like Facebook and then you would click on that and enter your credentials and then you're giving your credentials away to, to the scammers. Now, this one, they're not really looking for money, but they were looking for to harvest all of your customer or not your customers, but your, your friends' uh, emails. And then they can use that to sell them to other scammers. So phishing is a big uh, scam on, on Facebook. Yeah, now you, you bring up a good point too, is a lot of times, you know, the end goal of the fraudster is money, but sometimes they're not, you know, just straight out asking for money. They're trying to get personal identifying information so they could either overtake an account or start up a new account with your information. So that's a great point to bring out that, you know, they're, sometimes their end game on social media could be different things, right? Yeah, there's different ways that they can make, you know, they're doing it to get money in the end, but there's different ways to uh, to get that from you for sure. Uh, YouTube is also, I've, I've been getting a lot of calls about people that, you know, they see advertisements on YouTube for, let's say, investing in, in Bitcoins and or cryptocurrency. And I've had people who lost hundreds of thousands of dollars by, uh, you know, social, it's, YouTube is not really a social media, but it, it is uh, and people are, are losing a lot of money there because a lot of these uh, these scams are overseas and it's really hard to, to monitor. So sometimes it is a lot of money. Sometimes it's other things for sure. Well, speaking of Bitcoin, there's another scam out there called ransomware. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that one works? Well, we could have a whole podcast on, on, on that scam. But <laughs> uh, yeah, usually uh, computers uh, computers will get, will get infected with malware, which encrypts your computer and then it's ransomware, so they'll ask you for a ransom to decrypt your computer. And usually those are paid in cryptocurrency or bitcoins. And, you know, there's there's some kind of uh, stories now about, you know, what what is the point of Bitcoin or all this cryptocurrency? The only purpose it has right now is to pay ransom, <laughs> you know. So uh, it's really uh, opened up the doors. And this is, you know, the Internet, all this information, you know, it's just a, a flood of information and different ways for people to scam people because it's really hard to find the right information as well. There's too yeah. much information out there. So Al, I want to back up just to uh, some of our listeners maybe never heard of ransomware and uh, you know encryption and decryption. So you mentioned about a, a computer getting malware on it. What are the typical ways that somebody could get malware on their computer? Usually it's through an email. So the, the you know the criminal will send an email. Uh, with an attachment, like it could be like an Excel sheet or a file. The, and then the attachment has malware inside. So when someone will open this this email by reading, you know, they'll, they'll get an email, they open the attachment, so they, they think they're having some money come to them. It's a, a bill or something. And then, then there's malware in there. Then that starts encrypting the computer. And encrypting is basically just making the files unreadable. You need a, you need a password or a passcode to decrypt the files after that. And you know, the longer it runs, it starts infecting all your computer. And then if you're on a network at the office, let's say, it's going to spread to other computers as well. And it's, uh, you know, you've seen in the news that it can create some major financial losses for companies, for sure. So, Al, what you're saying basically is once you get infected by this uh, malware is your computer is pretty much useless. You can't do anything, can't access your files. It's, it's pretty much like a, a rock sitting on top of your desk. 
Yeah, that's correct. Uh, unless you get the passcode or the, the password, you're not going to be able to be crypto spouse. And uh, lately, you know, criminals have been trying to make it even more difficult. They will go into your network and then they'll find the backups and then try to encrypt the backups first. And then once your computer is locked up and then you find out that you have no backups to, to restore. So that can, that can cause you a lot of damage for sure. Yeah, locally here in Chicago, we had that happen to, a, a, I believe, a police department, and then we had it happen to a hospital where their computers are basically frozen unless they unless they paid the ransom, and I think they did. And, uh, you know, like you said, they give them a code. Well, sometimes it's all like, uh, you know, it depends on, uh, for sure, like a hospital, you know, th- that's why they attack the healthcare system so much, because they know that, you know, it's uh, very important information, and so you have to make a decision if you're going to pay it or not, and yeah, it's a very uh, difficult situation to be in, for sure. Yeah, even uh, here where I work, we had an intern. Same thing happened. Malware was put on her computer, and she couldn't access any of her schoolwork or pictures, anything like that. And uh, she would refuse to pay the ransom, and she never got access to her computer again. She had to start all over. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. And, uh, you know, the criminals don't care about uh, what the people are losing. And, uh, you know, they tend to target companies now because they know the payments are much more than they can get out of a, of a student, right? So the, the attacks tend to attack more companies now these days and governments. You know, you've seen, uh, I think, some power plant there in the U.S. was attacked there and definitely one of the bigger problems of this uh, this new age that, we, that we're in, for sure. Yeah. And now, you know, there's a, you know, some people I hear talk about this and they say, oh, well, don't pay the ransom because they're not going to decrypt your computer or give you the password to unlock it. But isn't there like uh, most of the time they they wind up unlocking it, right? Because they don't want to have a bad reputation as a criminal, right? Exactly. Well, it depends because there's multiple organizations and multiple people that, that do this kind of crime. So, I think there's, you know, there's statistics on how often they do give you the key. I mean, they, if it's somebody who's been doing it for a while and they want to continue doing it, they tend to give you the key, but they also sell their software. So, you know, ransomware is a software malware. So they, they sell it on the dark web, if you will. Right. And then anybody can buy it and then use it. So you don't really know who you're dealing with. And, you know, they may or may not care about their reputation. They may do it one time and, and move on from there. So it's really paying the ransom is certainly not a guarantee that you're going to get uh, the passcode to de- decrypt it. Yeah, here in the States, Al, we have the Better Business Bureau where you could go to report uh, dishonest businesses and things like that. So I guess, Mark, if uh, you pay the ransom and you don't get the results you wanted, you report <laughs> them to the Better Business Bureau and say, hey, these fraudsters, they lied. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure these hackers and criminals are not uh, registered businesses, right? <laughs> right, Al? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, here in the States, we have IC3 ran by the FBI. You know, you can report it to them, but uh, at least get something documented that you were a victim of ransomware. Hey, Al, I know we want to talk about some other type of frauds and scams that you're seeing in Canada and else, you know, globally, too. But I want to just ask one last question for our, our viewers that might be tuning in for the first time learning about ransomware here. What are some of the best practices or tips that you could give to our audience uh, so they don't fall victim to these uh, ransomware attacks? Uh, keeping your software updated, you know, uh, your your computer, like Windows, if you're using Windows or uh, any software to use, basically keep your security up to date. If it's a business, the administrators should be doing that uh, themselves and uh, hopefully doing it regularly, putting uh, some good uh, anti-malware software 
some good antivirus software and some good practices. You know, generally speaking, companies will advise their employees do not open this type of emails, but you know, people do it anyway. And it's, it's just human nature. So it's really trying to identify ahead of time what the, what the uh, malware is and trying to put some good scanners on, on, their, on their systems. But if you're not expecting, you know, if you're a big company and you're getting tons of emails, it's difficult. As an individual, you know, are you really expecting an email from some random company that says they're sending you some money? And, you know, I get these text messages on my phone, like, oh, some money's due to you. If you're not expecting it, why open it, right? I got to tell you, I had a real quick story. So my wife had a problem with her Gmail account with the password, and uh, she was looking for a number to call. And I went in Google, and I gave her an 800 number to call. And uh, she spoke to somebody, and uh, she called me and said, hey, they're in my computer looking at everything right now. I'm like, what? Who are they? I don't know. They sound like they're foreign. And I go, hang up the call. Hang up the call. So she hung up. So I called the number back. An individual picks up the phone. I'm like, excuse me. I go, where are you from? He goes, why? I go, because you claim you're, you know, you're with uh, Gmail. I'm just trying to figure out where you're from. He goes, I'm from Phonics. I go, you mean Phoenix? He goes, yes. I go, oh, brother, we're in trouble. <laughs> so no. I had her take it there. I don't know if, yeah. if you got Best Buy in uh, Canada. We have Best Buy here. We took it there, and they did a little cleaning on our computer, and she was real lucky that there was no uh, ransomware or anything like that on her computer. You never know. Yeah, you have to be really careful. And it's difficult to know who you're who you're talking to. Like, And again, I was talking about the old and the young. Like, I don't click on any text messages, basically. I, I don't trust them. If you want to do business, emails. But the, the younger generation love their phones, and so they're more vulnerable to, I think, to some of these scams. There, but it's really it's really difficult to tell what's real and what's not these days. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a good point too with our phones. You know, not only do we get emails, but we could get texts, and a lot of these scams and you know uh, attacks can be sent via text message as well, right? Oh, for sure, and and they'll usually ask you to click a link, and then it takes you. It's a phishing attack. They'll take you to a website that looks real. Uh, you know, it, it's not real. And then you enter your credentials in there. And uh, that's the problem with the phones is that you can't really see the web address like you can on a browser and a computer. That's why I recommend doing your financial transactions and all that on a computer, not on your phone. But uh, people, you know, like the convenience of their phone, so they're going to keep doing it. So it's just trying to keep people knowledgeable about these issues and just to be careful where you're going. Yeah, Al, I got to ask you, there's another scam out there, and I've been seeing a lot of it on the news lately, unfortunately. And one article I'd read where an individual actually took his life, it's uh, sextortion. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What What is sextortion? Yes, uh, it's uh, basically, the, these are like, usually occur on Instagram. And uh, it's one of my, I don't want to call it pet peeve, but it's something that I'm really passionate about because I worked, when I was with the police, I worked for you know many years combating child exploitation online and child pornography and child abuse and that kind of thing so a lot of young males are targeted you know teenagers young adults usually males they're targeted on instagram and someone will create a fake account pretending to be a female they will send pictures you know god knows it's easy to find nude pictures of women on the internet so they will send these pictures to this young man uh, he's all excited because he thinks he's found a, a woman or a girl that he's connecting with. You know, it goes on for a little while. And then eventually, you know, the person pretending to be a woman asks the victim, you know, the, the young male, to send nude photos of, of himself, which, you know, when they do, 
they, they've really caused a lot of problems now because it's not, uh, you know, it's not a woman on the other side. And then once they have those pictures, then they will basically it's extortion, it's extortion or blackmail or the victim into sending them money. And um, unfortunately, some people do. I, I get a, I get a few calls about that. And there's one, uh, you know, they panic, right? I mean, you're 17 years old. Somebody's telling you uh, they have nude pictures of you. You know, what they'll do is they'll try to get the, the Instagram account credentials or they'll try to take over the Instagram account of the victim. And one way they do this is, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, can you add me to your account? Like add my email address to your account so that we can uh, communicate easier. In one case, they said, you know, it helps me get a lot of likes on my site. And so the, the, the kid, the, you know, the boy does that, add them to their account as a, an administrator, if you will. So then the, the, the criminal can take over the, the Instagram account and shut out. You know, they change the password. And so the victim has no longer access to, the, to their Instagram account. Yeah. Now, I forgot to mention one step. You know, if you go back a little bit, the criminal will ask the victim, oh, let's chat on, on another app like Snapchat or WhatsApp. And so the reason they're doing this is that they can continue communicating with the victim after they're shut out of their Instagram account, right? Right. Yeah, and, and you brought up a good point about, um, you know, how they're contacted. And obviously, Instagram is a very popular target of these criminals. But have you seen it on other platforms as well, uh, Facebook or, you know, like it seems like anywhere that you can communicate with an individual, they could lure you into this extortion scheme. It can certainly happen uh, other places and, uh, you know, even on chats like WhatsApp. Um, I actually get random messages from people on WhatsApp, you know, pretending to be a woman and saying, oh, uh, do you want to talk? And I, have, I actually don't. How, how are they getting my contact information? I mean, I don't respond to them. I just delete it. You know, if you were to engage somebody on WhatsApp that you think is a woman and then you start sending, sending them pictures, well, you've opened yourself up to... Uh, to really being uh, extorted or sextorted, right? And then if they manage to take over your account because you've given them access, then they have access to all your contact information, your family, your friends. They threaten to send those pictures to all your family and your friends. I mean, that's a that's a horrible idea for anybody. Yeah. So, and, and you know, like I get a lot of calls about, I've been hacked. Hacking is, you know, through pure hacking through like uh, the back doors is very difficult. Usually the victim will be talked into giving the bad person access, either through sharing their password or adding them to their account, or, you know, they call it um, social engineering. So they'll, they'll try to get access. I mean, that's how Twitter had been uh, hacked because uh, people phone and say, hey, I'm the administrator for this account and I need the password. You know, even at the high levels, big companies, they're victims usually of, of sharing information that they're not supposed to share because they think they're giving it to the right person. So it's not really hacking. It's just social engineering. And when you get that administrative sort of um, action that the fraudster is able to become on the account, they could actually change the passwords, change the security questions where, you know, the true owner of that account can't regain access easily. Is that correct? Yeah, that happens a lot on, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, it's easy to do. And then once you've lost access, it's very difficult to get it back. I mean, there is a process, but, you know, Facebook is, well, Instagram is owned by Facebook. Not everyone knows that, but they have like a billion clients or, or users. 
So they have a lot of requests for help, and it, it could take a it could take a little while to get your account back. And unfortunately, this is you know if you're if you're a victim of uh, being extorted at the same time, it's going to give you some pretty bad sleeping nights that you're going to be worried about what's happening. I gotta gotta ask you because I've heard of cases like this, and you know the victim being a male is communicating with a person purporting to be a female. And then after exchange of photos, the purported lady or girl uh, parent comes on and said, hey, you're communicating with my daughter. She's only 14. You need to send me money right now. I'm reporting you to the police and, and I'll send out the new pictures of yourself, you know, put them out on Facebook and everywhere else. So I have heard of cases like that. What would happen if the person that got caught up in this did not pay any ransom or any money to the fraudster, do you think they will expose these uh, pictures? Well, I would say no. I mean, I've never personally, I tried to find some cases where it happened, but I'm not aware of any cases where the, the, the perpetrator or the criminal actually did share the pictures. You know, they're not looking for extra attention on themselves because if they were to send the pictures, especially if it's an underage person. So if you have a 17 year old and he's sending pictures, nude pictures of himself, uh, that's technically child pornography because he's under 18 years old. So he's technically not allowed to share that. And the other person, it's a crime for them to to share that with anyone else. So now they're they're basically causing more problems, like they're breaking more laws. And, you know, eventually, I mean, the police, you know, I was a police officer and I know that they're very busy and they get a lot of calls. But if you break enough laws, eventually the police are going to come and look for you. Yeah. And so they're not looking for extra attention. They look for money, quick money, quick victims. And if they start doing things like that, they're just going to bring extra attention to themselves. And eventually something's going to be done. And they, they don't want the attention. So, Also, I got to ask you, if somebody gets caught up in this extortion, should they pay the ransom or should they not? What happens is that if you do pay, they just keep asking you for more money. And it just it never ends. So, and these, these type of cases that I've seen is, you know, they'll, they'll start with a thousand, two thousand dollars ransom, which people can generally find, and then they'll ask you uh, different methods to send that money. But once you send the money, then you're basically opening up yourself. They're going to call you every couple of days, every day, and then ask you for more money until you just stop paying. And then uh, they'll just they'll try to, you know, they'll they'll upgrade the threats for a little while, and then eventually they they go away. So, um, you know, there's no point. There's no point in paying. Yeah, I think that's something like this type of scam, too. You know, you get caught up in it. You should report it to your local police department. And again, you could go with the FBI and IC3. But you suggest for a young adult under 17, under 18, that they should let their parents know what's going on. And now they got caught up in this. Well, definitely. And, um, you know, it works both ways. I think parents, you know, a lot of parents would be listening to this, this uh, podcast information. And they should talk to their kids, even though the subject is uncomfortable. You know, I worked sex crimes for a long time and people don't want to talk about it. But, you know, there's one kid that I know about, uh, 17 years old in Manitoba, and he killed himself because he was so panicked about his nude pictures being distributed. To, so, you know, there's real consequences there that are very serious. And so, you know, if that kid... I. Honestly, I often think about him. Like, I wish I could have talked to him or somebody, if somebody told him about this, he would not have killed himself because, you know, I talk to a lot of these kids and I calm them down and I actually take a lot of pride in that. They just need to know, you know, what's the risks and what can I do? They just want some advice. So, you know, if parents are listening to this, please talk to your kids, you know, and kids, 
they should talk to their parents and, you know, have that good relationship with your parents that you feel comfortable talking to your parents about this. Definitely. So Al, you bring up some great points here about the emotional impact that this has on a victim. You know, if you're a young teen and you did take pictures of yourself and sent them and now you're being, you know, extorted, you know, sometimes kids are afraid to reach out to their parents because they're embarrassed. They don't want them to know uh, what had happened. Do you have any suggestions if a teenager is listening to this podcast and is a victim of this type of crime and, and feels like they can't go to their parents? What are some other resources that they could go to? Yes, of course. You know, this is where having that, that community network really helps. Uh, but not everyone has a big network. But, you know, sometimes it starts with your friends. And hopefully... You could talk to one of your friends and hopefully they have the information because their parents or somebody told that, right? So, you know, talk to your friends about it. They may have some information for you. And then, you know, at the school, there's going to be school counselors. Hopefully every kid has a good relationship with some adult, you know, whether big brothers or Boy Scouts or, you know, whatever. But, you know, I get phone calls from uh, Google's, you know, uh, or web search. Um, I've had some kids call me. And again, I take a lot of pride in helping these people. So find someone, you know, call a cybersecurity company and, you know, hopefully every kid has an adult that they trust and they can talk to. And it could be at your school or your coach or or someone. And uh, that person hopefully has the right information to guide them the right way. And that's why it's important to talk about this in this forum. Yeah. I also have to commend my co-host, Mike Carroll. He actually um, authored a sextortion stop action video on this very topic. And you know, Mike and I, like I said, if there is a victim out here that you're listening to this uh, podcast episode and you were targeted, you know, I want you to realize, too, you're a victim of a crime. It's not your fault. It wasn't a mistake that you made. Somebody targeted you um, as a victim and they they took advantage of you. So, like I said, it's, you know, don't don't feel that embarrassment. It's OK to reach out to family, to loved ones, to even law enforcement and report this because, you know, they did something wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. Well said, Mark. You know, a lot of kids growing up, you know, they're taught to trust people. You know, we're here in the States and Canada, we're trustworthy people and we, we do trust people. And, you know, like you said, they are the victims and they're not alone. Um, you need to report it. You got caught up in this. You're not alone. It happens. Um, talk to your parents. Talk to somebody at your school, maybe even a coach. But don't be ashamed. Get it out there. And like L, like you were saying, you send money. Once you send a couple dollars, they're not going to stop. They're going to keep on coming at you until they take all your money. And then they'll go ask you to get money from somebody else to send it to them. So you're right. Once you start sending money, it's never going to stop. That's great. Absolutely right about that. Hey, Al, for folks in in Canada, you know, like I said, here in the U.S., we have IC3. Um, You can report frauds and scams to Federal Trade Commission. Uh, What are some of the resources in Canada if you're a victim of a scam or fraud? uh, Where can you report this to beyond uh, your local law enforcement? Uh, In Canada, we have uh, something called the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. And um, they are nationally, they're they're not a law enforcement and they're not for profit, but it's a it's a national center, and uh, I could put this link in the show notes. It's uh, We have everything bilingual, French and English, so the, the links tend to get a little long. So it's probably best to put it in the show notes. But it, it's called the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center, and they they gather all this information, you know, phone scams, email scams, and uh, all the other scams out there, and they put it all together. And um, 
and try to help people get out of scams or try at least to keep statistics on it for new legislations and these kind of things. So it's the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center. Yeah. yeah, I think Jeff Thompson, I think he's the head of the Anti-Fraud Center. He's going to come on a future uh, IFCI webinar. That's right. Oh, they're correct. Yeah, they got that uh, little black book of scams or something like that that's very informative. We can put that on the show notes. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's a great, you know, you get a, you get a call. It's, it's good to have one place where you can check a phone number and see if it's linked to any other scams, you know, and uh, it's good to get all that information together so that people can take action if they're suspicious they're being uh, scammed of something. Yeah, you know, I got to ask you, a lot of these fraudsters are unfortunately international. They're overseas. What can local law enforcement do to try and prosecute these people if they're not necessarily from their town or even from their country? This, isn't it kind of hard to prosecute? It is very hard, very hard to prosecute. Um, and usually, yes, the perpetrators are in other countries. And so there's a, there's a few steps here for law enforcement. So the first step is you need to find out who. And the, the, reason, the, the way to do that is to get something called an IP address, which is an internet protocol number address that computers use. It's like a phone number for a computer. And the only person who has that, or the only entity who has that, is the social media platform. So if you're being scammed on Facebook or Instagram, uh, the logs, you know, the logging, the record of what's happening is kept by the social media company. I mean, when people phone me and they think I can give them access back to their accounts. No, you have to go to the social media company. And then for the police, they have to do some kind of court order, depending on your jurisdiction, to get that information. And so that's step one. So, you know, it makes it hard for the police to to do that. And then once they get that that IP address, then they have to find out who it belongs to. And then so that's another step, another court order. And then if it's international, if you want charges, you have to do Things called MLATs, which are mutual legal assistance treaties. So it gets very complicated. And then the police, again, they're not, you know, for them to do all these steps for a thousand dollar fraud, it's very difficult to convince them to do that. And this is where, again, I was saying that the, the perpetrators don't want the attention because they don't want the police to start really digging. You know, in a perfect world, you could track these people down. Yeah. But there's a lot of steps. And then the perpetrators could be masking or, you know, an IP address can be something called a VPN, which is a, you know, a virtual address. And so basically your IP address doesn't come back to you. It comes back to some computer in Panama. So there are so many steps in between, you know, hopefully in the future, they will sort of iron out a lot of these uh, international issues, but we're still kind of in the new, you know, since the late nineties, internet. And we're still developing new processes. Uh, there's laws now in the U.S. and Canada to protect people that didn't exist before. Alan, your last several comments, I think you really pointed out some of the complexities that law enforcement face to investigate this. But, you know, I think that's why we're so, you know, yourself, Mike and I, who, you know, we're all retired law enforcement, that we believe that education and awareness is probably the best way to prevent this. Uh, so you know, hopefully a person doesn't become a victim because it is an arduous process sometimes trying to track these international criminals. Exactly. Because once the fraud is committed, it's really hard to to undo it or to find who did it. Uh, just to, uh, you know, one example that comes to mind here, and I, again, I don't want to blame victims, but if, you know, I had people call me and 
they are a victim of uh, these uh, cryptocurrency bitcoins. And they saw because they saw an ad on YouTube. And so they got all excited and they, they invested their money. Now, if you do a, an internet search on that company, within two minutes, you will see posts or information that it's, it's a fraud. So I think people do have, you know, to take a little bit of steps. If you're going to send money to somebody, I think you do need to take a few steps to kind of confirm who you're sending this money to. That's, that is great advice to our audience. And, and like I said, a little bit of research may prevent you from becoming a victim. Yeah, you know, uh, L, I think we could do a two-hour show. I mean, basically, we just talked about ransomware and uh, sextortion. And yeah. uh, there's so many other scams out there, and a lot of them that you are aware of uh, that are going on. But I did want to mention, I tried to avoid getting caught up in these scams, but uh, I'm a helpful guy. I got a email from my pastor uh, at our church, and one of the uh, parishioners is uh, unfortunately sick, and he asked me to go out and buy— uh, seven uh, Apple gift cards at 100 each for $700. And then once I've done that, uh, take a picture of the back, scratch off the numbers, take a picture and send it to them. So I'm thinking of doing that. I don't think there's anything wrong. Do you, L? Oh, that's a setup question. <laughs> You're setting me up. Of course not. You should, you should not send a, a money like that for sure. I just want to check with you. You're the expert, but I did get the email. I, I did get it from him, and uh, I'm ready to say, yeah, I bought the gift cards, and I'm going to drop it off at your office and see what happens then because it'll probably go crazy when he, his response might have some derogatory comments in there. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one, right? But emails, yeah. I mean, somebody gets in, you know, if you have uh, somebody gets, or your pastor, let's say his credentials are, are stolen through some Facebook or some other post, and then the email actually will be coming from them, but there's a third party in the middle there. So, you know, if, if your pastor sends me an email asking you for money, like call your pastor and say, hey, did you send me an email? Do you really need this money? Can't trust emails or text messages. Yeah, I was just wondering how we knew about the pastor's name and everything. And I guess you could find it on Facebook, right? You pull up the parish, and there it is. We're all on an email distribution list with the parish. Maybe somehow they hacked into that and got a hold of everybody's emails. And uh, they got a lot of time on their hand, the fraudsters. Or going back to that little scam I mentioned at the beginning where, you know, you would get a message on Facebook Messenger that said, hey, is that you in this video? And then once you log in there, you're giving them your credentials, and then they have all the email addresses of all your friends. And then they can start sending messages pretending to be you. And um, emails and text messages, you know, it can look like it's coming from somebody you know. And people these days have a hard time like phoning people. Young people don't want to phone people. Uh, you know, phone somebody. If somebody's asking for money by email, phone them. And say, hey, did you send me this email? You can't trust emails. Hey, Al, I got to tell you a funny story. My daughter was home from college a few weeks ago with my wife, and we're all sitting in the living room, and I I see my daughter on the phone. She's texting, and then all of a sudden I look over, my wife's texting, my daughter's texting back and forth, and, and I'm like, who are you guys texting? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm texting mom. I'm like, she's five feet from you. Just just <laughs> talk to her, you know, but this is the mentality of our younger generation. You know? <laughs> so. Since we're exchanging stories, I got to tell you a funny one. So my son uh, was applying for university, and he wanted to ask advice to one of his friends. So he texts, and I said, why don't you call her? And he, so you know what he does? He doesn't call her. He records a, his voice asking a question, and then he sends over by text the sound, <laughs> like the sound file. And then she listens to it. She records a voice message and then sends that by text. Like, I couldn't believe yeah. it. 
I'm like, why you won't call her? He's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, like, oh my god. Well, hey Al, listen, we appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your expertise and knowledge here. Like I said, this was just a, a, a great conversation about, you know, being aware and uh, from parents to teenagers uh, to older adults. So we appreciate your service in law enforcement for 29 years and coming on the podcast. And it sounds like we're going to need to get you back and talk about a few more scams when you're free. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, come back anytime. And I think you guys will agree with me that if we can help one person, then it's totally worth it. Yeah, we were in Vancouver, oh, man, four years ago for our international conference, Mark, yep, remember? Yep, yep. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful area. Outstanding. Hey, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, can you tell us the name of your company again, and then we'll put it in the show notes also. Yeah, for sure. My uh, So I started a company. It's called Alpha Fox Forensics, which is very uh, just uh, my initials and the police uh, the police lingo, alphafoxforensics.com, and uh, be glad to help anyone. We'll make sure we get that on the show notes. And, and Al, can you just tell us a little bit about what Alpha Fox Forensics does? Well, I'm basically doing the same thing I was doing as a police officer, but as a private company now. So it's uh, mostly digital forensics and cybersecurity. You know, I help uh, law firms and individuals, companies uh, deal with uh, digital evidence, digital information on computers, cell phones. And uh, some, I do some ransomware response and a little bit of cybersecurity, but it's mostly mostly forensics, getting information for, for law firms for, for cases. I know that feeling. You can't put the handcuffs on him anymore, but you're still providing a valuable service to our community and protecting our citizens. So thank you for what you're doing. And uh, hey, Mike, you know what? We'd like to thank our listeners and subscribers to IFCI Presents, the Protectors podcast. We've gotten a ton of feedback. We have so many people tuning in and subscribing to our podcast. So keep up the good work and keep uh, spreading the news about protecting yourself against scams and frauds and cybercrime. So and I got to tell you, we got a new listener, my son. He went on Spotify. He's on. He loves it. So that's where you got to go. All right. Sign up. Come <laughs> we'll on. love it. Come on board. <laughs> El, thank you very much. Thank you for coming on. A lot of great information. Uh, and we'll be back again, right, next podcast coming soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Hey, Mark, I got to go back and give a shout out to the IAFCI listening to L today. He's a member of the IFCI, and he represents the 7,000 members that we have that are there to provide training and education that protect our citizens. And for anybody out there who's a financial crime investigator, we'd love for you to join our organization. We provide the most current training and education. In fact, we have a two-for-one special, but you can learn more about us, check in the show notes, check in our website, uh, go into IFCI.org. But please, if you're a financial crime investigator out there, and especially if you're new, uh, we'd love to have you on board with the IFCI, and hopefully you continue to listen to our podcast, where we provide the best training and education also, not only to our members, but to the public. What do you think, Mark? I agree 100%, Mike. You know, uh, to get an international perspective of fraud as well, seeing what's going on in other countries. You know, what I love about the IFCI is, you know, we provide the best training for our investigators to go out there and fight fraud, financial crime, cyber crimes. But it's also about giving back. And that's why I love when an IFCI member comes onto this show to share his expertise and share it with the public so they don't fall victim to a crime. That's right, Mark. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening in today. 
We appreciate you. We love you. You are what makes us keep on going with these podcasts. We appreciate the feedback. Anything you think of, you know, reach out to us. Any uh, speakers that you know of that could help our citizens providing training and education, please reach out to us. And again, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. And Mike, just to remind our listeners, too, that we are on every major podcast outlet that you could find. Just uh, type in IFCI Presents the Protectors Podcast, and it'll bring you right to our podcast. Make sure you subscribe and spread the word. We want to make sure everybody out there is safe as possible and doesn't fall victim to these types of frauds and scams. So with that, Mike, I'm going to sign off. It's Mark Solomon from Connecticut. And this is Mike Carroll from Chicago. We will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.